Well, I'm excited to continue the study through the book of Philippians and uh, believe that God wants to speak to you. So would you grab your Bible and open up to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't know where that's at in the Bible, you can find it, table of contents, or ask somebody nearby you or Google it. Uh, we'll have scriptures on the screen as well. This series, this, this study is called Take Heart. Jesus said in John, uh, the book of John, that you're going to have troubles in this world. But he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's encouraging his disciples that hardship and difficulties are a part of this broken world that we live in. Uh, the moment sin entered, Garrett was speaking of it a moment ago, the, the moment sin entered, um, God's perfect created world began to unravel. The invitation of sin now brought with it consequences, pain, hatred, brokenness, sickness, um, sadness, sorrow, all of that um, trouble began in that moment. And Jesus is like, I want you to take heart, though, because I've overcome the world. There's an end of the story that's coming, and, and, and you have a, a purpose and a potential that's so much greater than the hardship of this life. But, but I know that that idea of taking heart maybe is escaping many of us as we're in the middle of hardship. That's why Philippians is so powerful, because Paul, the author of this letter, is writing to a church that he knows well, that he planted several years before, and he's writing to encourage them in the midst of hardship that they're facing while he himself is sitting in a prison cell for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not like his life is all peachy and he's telling them to chin up, right? He is like in the middle of it in a massive way. And yet he has this amazing amount of joy. How many times throughout the letter he's writing rejoice? And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Like there's so much for us to be joyful about, even though things are difficult and hard. And uh, this, this whole study for, for me and for, I know for many of us, is meeting us right where we are. And that's my prayer today is that God, by his power and his word, would just make it plain to you who he is and how much he loves you, the plans he has, the purpose he has, and strengthen your heart, strengthen your resolve, strengthen your mind, fill you with confidence, fill you with peace, that you would walk out of here today a, a changed person. I, I really do pray that that by God's power and his presence here, that you would walk out different. You'd walk encouraged. You'd walk inspired to become who God made you to be. And so we're going we're gonna to look to God's word together today. Philippians chapter 2, we're in verses 12 through 18 today. And uh, we've, we've been experimenting with this the last several weeks, and I want to do it again today. It's kind of an ancient practice to read scripture out loud together, um, but I think it's a really powerful moment for us. And so I'd invite you, would all of you stand to your feet with me today? Uh, and we're just going to declare the word of God together. If you, even if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you into this practice. And I believe that God is going to speak to each of us as we read this out loud. We're going to read verses 12 through 18 together. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And this is what the word of the Lord says to us today. Let's read. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment together and thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that your spirit is here and thank you that you're speaking and meeting each of us right where we are, God. We just, um, we just cling to these words here today, God, and just invite you, spirit, to transform us. Invite you to speak, invite you to lead, invite you to move powerfully in this time. Holy Spirit, just be here. We need you and we trust you and we look to you now. In your name, Jesus, amen. You can grab your seat this morning. I think I've shared with you a little bit about um, our neighborhood is an amazing neighborhood and we have amazing neighbors. And uh, I've shared with you about our, our one neighbor, Lady Linda, and she's so sweet. She's always dropping little notes and flowers and cookies. I especially love the cookies on our, on our doorstep. And uh, her, her and her little dog are always walking by our, our house. And, uh, you know, often conversations will happen as she walks by. She's kind of like um, the neighborhood grandma, you know. She just is always talking to all the different neighbors. And it's super fun. And, and one of the things I love about her sweet, sweet spirit, her just the, the presence that she has is that uh, Linda's endured a lot. I mean, she's been teaching uh, she's been a college professor for, I think, 40-plus years in our, in our city here, and she's just recently retired. She, I, I remember she would always stop at Safeway early in the, in the morning, and uh, she would buy food for her students. Many of her students um, didn't have food, and so uh, she would load up. People at Safeway knew her, and so she would load up and just have like breakfast for everybody. She's like, I can't teach them if they're hungry, you know, and, and she's just like always just loving and so gracious always been through such difficult. She lost her husband just a few years ago to sickness and watching her endure that so powerfully. I remember the day that um, her family and church were over at her house and you could hear them worshiping, just like rocking the house with like this amazing song of praise to God as they were saying goodbye to her husband. And you know, when uh, somebody like that stops you and says, hey, I know you guys are going through some hard stuff right now. She's always been so caring as my wife has been um, navigating this cancer and we've been walking through it together and so thankful for um, her and, and, and the way her presence. But when she grabs us at one time and she said, hey, I know you guys are going through some hard stuff right now and I know that this is difficulty is real. She said, I just want to encourage you. Don't let this just go by and not change you. Don't just get through this hardship. God actually wants to grow you and transform you through this hard time. And when someone with that kind of life and background makes those kinds of encouragements to you, you listen. I think for, for our family, this has been words that we've been pondering over the last six, eight months as we've been navigating this as a family. And and I think that Paul writes with that same kind of authority in this passage. He's not somebody that's at a distance from hardship and struggle. He's in the middle of it himself. And yet he's writing to a church to encourage them and inspire them in the midst of difficulties that they are facing. And, and I, I love this opportunity that we have to, to learn from and, and to look at this passage from people that are trying to help us become who God made us to be. In Philippians 4, this verse, these passages have been kind of the, the anchor point for us through this whole study. There's this picture that Paul paints in, in verses 4 through 7. He says, I, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is verse 4. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. 
this is the goal, right? That, that, that in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we would present our request to God. And listen, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that, that peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We look at this passage and we go, yes, Lord, we want that. We want that peace. We want that ability to rejoice no matter what is going on in our lives. We, we don't want to be anxious, God. We don't want to have anxiety. We don't want to have fear. We don't want to have this, this wrestling match inside of us. So, Lord, help us. Philippians 2 is where Paul is trying to help the church. He says, I, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, I want you, I want you to, to obey what I've been telling you to do. I'm absent now. You know, he said, in my presence, yeah, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. But now that I'm absent, I want you to really pay attention to what I'm asking you to do. I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is Paul giving the church instruction. This is going to be for your benefit. This is going to be for your good. This is going to be for, for your transformation. You're not going to just miss this trial. You're going to actually allow God to shape you through it. He said, I love this, this last phrase here in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's something powerful about this command here in this, in this passage. It's Paul inviting the church into a place of transformation. To not just muscle our way through hardship and difficulties in life and just our way through everything. He's saying, hey, I want you to be a different people. I want you to become somebody different. You're going to have to work out this salvation of yours with fear and trembling. But when you do it, I don't want you to do it in your own strength. It is God in you who, who works in you both to will. That's the want to. Anybody ever struggle with the want to, right? Like, like I know I'm supposed to want to grow through this hardship, but I'm kind of just angry that I'm in the hardship, God. And so if you can help me want to, that would be awesome, right? That's an honest prayer. Lord, I don't want to. Would you help me want to? It is, it is God who works in you to will and, and, and to, to work according to his purpose. It is God at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to invite you into a place of transformation. But man, you got you to gotta have an understanding of where this transformation comes from. And I, I don't want you to make a mistake about this phrasing here. Work out your own salvation. It can be confusing. Because every time we preach salvation around here, we're always talking about the gift that it is. It's not something you work for or earn. It's a gift of God. It's the grace of God. It's the, the free, unmerited favor of God on your life, him making a decision to love you, um, even though you're not worth loving. I mean, honestly, right? It's, it's us recognizing we don't have what it takes to become right with God and so desperate for a Savior to step in and make us right with God. That is God's love, is that he loved us while we were still sinners, Right? So how is it that we work out our salvation? I, I want you to hear it this way. It is not that you're working for salvation. It's what you're working from, that you have been saved by grace. And now since you have been saved, I want you to begin to put effort into your process of becoming this person that God intended you to be. It's like you were in slavery. You, you, you were a slave and your shackles have been dropped off. You've been allowed out of that captivity, but, but you still live in the prison cell. You kind of got used to the shackles, and so you just, even though they're not locked, you keep them on because they're so familiar. 
And we live with the bondage, we live with the anxiety, we live with the fear, we live with the, 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 the brokenness of, of all of our past life. And, and, and it's like Paul's like, hey, you've been saved. Like those shackles, they're not locked anymore. You can, you can let them off now. You can step out of that cell and begin to walk toward the purpose that God has for your life. Work out that salvation. I want you to live from that salvation into the process of becoming who God made you to be. Don't get stuck in this enslaved mindset, in this enslaved kind of heart, in these emotions. I want you to actually become who God made you to be. It's a process um, theologians call sanctification. You're not working for your salvation. You're working from your salvation to become who God made you to be. But here's the key of this whole thing. The effort that you're going to make, I don't want you to just make it in your own strength, in your own understanding, your white knuckle, striving approach, stressed out to this spiritual life. Stressed out spiritual people are really hard to be around. You know what I'm saying? Like we're worried. This is, I'm preaching to myself right now. Like I strive so hard sometimes to do what God wants me to do. He's like, no, it's God that works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's the power of God, the same power that saved you and set you free from those shackles and opened the prison cell is the power that I want you to walk in to become who God made you to be. It's a process, a journey of transformation. And, and then look at later in this passage, there's this kind of clear call of like, this is what transformation kind of sounds like. Verse 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I want you to just focus on that second word, like how many things? Yeah, you, this is participation moment. How many things? All things, yeah. I want you to do the, the, um, the things that nobody sees. I want you to do the parenting things, and I want you to do the work things, and I want you to do the boss things, and I want you to do the marriage things. I want you to do the, the public things, and I want you to do the private things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent. This is the working out of our salvation. This is what it looks like. This is how simple it is. Couldn't it be more spiritual than this? No. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Paul knows this. And so if our heart is being transformed, then the words that come out of our mouth are going to be evidence of that transformation. He says, I want you to do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Listen, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Every generation says this is the worst it's ever been. And Paul's like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. This is 2,000 years old. And that was a twisted and crooked generation, right? It's good to know that spirituality is, has been um, the, the key through all these last uh, several generations, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I love that picture. What makes us different than the twisted and crooked generation is not our religious activity, but the transformation of our hearts. That's evidenced by our words. If we're just as gossipy and just as complaining and just as divisive and just as angry and just as, as, as destructive with our words as the rest of the twisted and crooked generation, what makes us think our spirituality is really anything at all? The transformation that God is wanting to do in our lives is evidenced by our words. Man, I could, I could see my immaturity so much in this right here. I mean, we're sitting in sporting activities and events and just the words coming out of my mouth. I am so immature sometimes. And it's like, it doesn't take much. 
It takes somebody driving below the speed limit, right? It just takes like <laughs> simple little things for me to be like, oh, I am so immature. God help me. And I, and I think that that's what's so powerful about this passage is how simple it is. Not that it's this big complicated list of rules that you got to figure out. He's saying, hey, I want you to be a part of something life-changing, transforming, like hardship, difficulty that you find yourself in is a place that God actually wants to do something in your life. He wants to transform you. And this is how you know that you're going to be transformed, that you're working out this salvation. It's going to be evidenced by the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's really simple Christianity right there. But I think that, that that's what makes this powerful. He said, that's what's going to make you shine as lights in the world where people are gonna to wanna to know what you have to say because you have peace that surpasses all understanding. Because you have a confidence in God and his ability to lead you through this difficulty and this hardship. You have a, a, a lack of anxiety that makes people curious about what's going on in your life. This is what light shines like in the midst of darkness. And I go, God, that's, that's who we wanna be. Help us, help us with that. Key to this passage, I, I would say it like this if you're taking notes today, is that dependence, on God, on his spirit, on his leadership in your life. It is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Dependence on God transform you during difficulties. This is not an invitation from Paul to get, get kind of like after your spiritual life in a, you know, work out your salvation, right? Like, like I feel like I'm going to boot camp all of a sudden, right? There is an invitation to dependence on God in a way that, that is something that you've never experienced before. And I would say it like this. Okay, what does that look like, Richie? How do I grow dependence? How do I work out this salvation? First thing I see Paul inviting the church to is to, to work on grit about their cadence and about their determination. Not just any grit, like self-determined grit, but a gospel grit. And when I say gospel grit, I mean this, is that, that the good news of Jesus Christ is that God loves us and wants to save us. And his demand, his justice demands perfection from every single one of us. But every one of us falls short of that demand. And so we, in a place of humility, recognize I don't have what it takes. I need a savior. And God, if you would be my savior, then I will serve you. You would be my Lord, my leader, my, 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 my master, the one in control of this life. See, this is the essence of the gospel is to recognize you don't have what it takes. And the gospel kind of grit that I believe we need to work out this salvation is a perpetual awareness of how desperate I am for God to work in this life. That's why I said it. it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It is the power of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God that is going to help you be transformed through this hardship. It is not going to be your effort, your strength, your ability, your understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so powerful for me in this. It's all right. Oh, it's so clear. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your past. That is a place of absolute dependence on God. God, I don't want to lean on my own understanding, my own abilities, my own figuring this life out, my own problem-solving capacity. God, I want to be led by you. And that's what gospel grit is, is perpetually, constantly coming back to our Savior every single day, every single moment, going, God, I don't know how you're going to lead me through this hardship, this, this difficulty that I find myself in. I don't know how you're going to use this story someday for your glory and your purposes, God, but I'm trusting you. Would you show me today? Would you show me 
what my heart is to be like today, my cadence is to be like, my, my, my mindset is to be like today. And this kind of dependence is not just for the day of salvation. You know, when you repent at the moment of salvation, you receive the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The journey now of working out your salvation is just as dependent on grace as it was the very first day. That's the kind of grit I'm talking about. It almost, to me, it feels like harder than pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try harder, get after it. That's what the world always is celebrating, isn't it? Those that endure because they just had the determination and they had what it took. And it's like Christianity is like, I don't have what it takes. And I don't know the way out of this, but I know the God who created me and the one that is going to sustain me. And he has the power to raise people out of the grave. And if he has that same power, then he can heal. He can, he can transform. He can lead. He can, he can help me become who he made me to be. And, and I am absolutely desperate for him to walk with me in this process of becoming who he made me to be. It is not me inside of me making this whole thing happen. It is the power of God giving me the will and, and the the power to become who he made me to be. Gospel grid is, is constantly coming back to that center line, that basic understanding. This is why daily is so essential that you are spending time with Jesus. You're not going to be transformed in your own understanding and in your own power. And when we get up and get after a day, just with our own wisdom and our own understanding and our, our own best efforts, we are saying, no, thanks, God. I got today. I'll pick you up when I get around to another spiritual moment. The people that are legitimately transformed are the people that are spending time every single day understanding, recognizing, God, I don't have what it takes. I need you today. I need you for this meeting, for this phone call, for this email that I'm about to write. I need you in every single moment. I'm, I'm parenting my kids right now. I am, I'm loving my spouse. Right, God, I need you every single one of these moments. And that's the kind of grit that I'm asking us to consider is go, oh, what does that look like for me to become more and more dependent? See, see, difficulty, the gift of difficulty is that it demands dependence. It's the most uncomfortable and the most anxious we could ever be because we are out of control. And what do we long for? Control. When do we feel successful? When we're in control. But this is the root of the gospel, is this absolute awareness. I am not in control. I can't save myself. Hardship actually then becomes a gift. Oh, you're right, God. I'm still self-reliant. I'm still independent. I'm still doing it my way. Here's an opportunity for me to grow, for me to be transformed. Would your spirit give me the desire to want to be transformed? Because I kind of like the, the chains that I've been holding on to my wrist. I kind of like the prison cell. I'm pretty used to it. Would you give me the want to, and would you give me the power, God, to become who you made me to be? I feel like I kind of touched a nerve. Are you okay? This is, this is the essence of transformation. Dependence. You know, people uh, often misquote scripture and say, you know, God will never give me more than I can handle. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the whole of scripture is teaching man that they don't have what it takes. And every situation becomes an invitation to move beyond your self-reliance and into dependence on God. And I think that it's so important for us to, 
to just understand the, the opportunity. I was talking about it last week. That last piece of the sermon was this, that there's an opportunity for you to experience Jesus in a new way. And I think that's the sweetness of it, right? You get to know his presence in a way that you've never known before. That you get to know a relationship with God that you've never had before. It'd be so easy to just stay where you are and not work out the salvation and just try to do it your way over and over and over again, but you're missing out. Not, not just on transformation, but on the presence of God. That you would experience his power and his goodness in a way that you never have before. And that's my prayer for us constantly, is that God would meet you in your hardship and your sorrow and your suffering in a way that is powerful, life-changing, transforming of who you are. The thing that gets so practical here, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, is, is our words. Dependence doesn't just happen upon us. It's a, it's a discipline. Paul's saying you need to get some, some reliance, some dependence, some gospel grip, but you also got to watch your words. And our words, like I said a minute ago, become evidence of where our heart's at. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And because of that, he's like, hey, I want you to pay attention. Are you grumbling and disputing? Because that's an overflow. That's a sign of your independence and your reliance on yourself. Think about when you complain the most, when things don't go the way I want them to go. What does that mean? I have a plan, I have an expectation, I have a desire, I have a hope, I have a wish, and when it doesn't go that way, then I complain about it. Or when somebody, that's just, this is disputing, this is fighting, right? This is arguing. When somebody doesn't do things the way I want them to do. And so then the fight ensues, right? No, I don't like that. I don't want you to do that. I don't, you know, and then you know, things kind of get out of hand from there and it kind of overflows. So Paul's like, hey, I, I want you to do all things without complaining or disputing. I want you to watch your words because your words are actually a reflection to yourself of your own heart. And if you can pay attention to your words, you can see the transformation process happening inside of you. And I actually, I share this as a warning, but also as an encouragement, because some of you are gonna, you're gonna be able to look back and go, man, I used to talk like trash all the time. I used to complain incessantly, or I used to gossip all the time. I used to tear people down. I, I mean, for me, sarcasm, biting. I could be, I could be so, so cutting with my words if, if, if I'm not paying attention. Some of you, you'll actually be able to track your transformation with the words that you are now speaking. Others of you, it'll be a clear illustration of like, oh, I'm still living like I'm in prison to my selfish, sinful desires. I, I, I actually closed the door that, that's been unlocked for years that I, that I got free at salvation and I just decided to live in the pit called my sinful nature, right? And, and there's an invitation to come out of that. Pay attention to what's coming out of your, your heart and your, your words. And, and really, I, I love how Paul finishes this. He's like, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Listen, I am glad and I rejoice with you all, he says in verse 17. And I rejoice with you all. Even if I'm gonna die, he's saying, poured out like a drink offering. What does that mean? That, that my life is a sacrifice for you to come to faith. Even if this is my last stop that I never get out of this prison, he dies two to three years after this letter is written in prison. 
Even if my life is a sacrifice, I am glad. Listen to his words. And I rejoice with you all. And he says, likewise, verse 18, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Listen to the intentionality of his words here. You, you and I could actually could pay attention to this and go, wow, like being glad and rejoicing is a sign in our hearts of our dependence on God. When you and I are worshipful and celebratory and, and, and glad and like, like listen to the words that you say and the things that you dwell on. You could actually, you know, like the, the scientists now are all catching up with scripture and they're going, hey, you know how you talk can actually affect the chemicals in your brain. It's neuroscience. It's amazing, right? But how you talk could put different chemicals in your brain. Some could put dopamine, put a smile on your face, right? And other words that you use can actually dump stress hormones into your brain. I mean, I mean, you, you could just focus on the negative, what's broken and what needs to be fixed all the time, which is what I struggle with all the time. And you get more and more stressed out because you see how broken things are and what needs to be fixed and how it's not the way it used to be and should be and needs to be and it'll be there soon, right? Like, like you just kind of get all stiff and tight and uh, stress, right? Pretty soon this peace that surpasses all understanding is not even a thought in our brains. Or you could choose intentionally to go, you know what, my words matter. I'm, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad. Even if it feels like I'm faking it, I'm going to actually be intentional about things that I am hopeful and excited and passionate about, things that I see that God is doing, the way he is working, the way he's moving in your life, the kind of people that he's drawn to himself here at our church, the kind of team that he's building, the kind of future that he has for real life, the kind of hope that he has for your family, the kind of joy that you are experiencing in this life. You know, like when you, when you speak words that are negative, grumbling, disputing, you're actually training your brain to focus on those things. Neuroscience says this as well. It's like digging a trench in your brain. Every negative word that you are speaking over a situation or over a person, it's just like taking a giant scoop out of the ditch and you jumping down into it deeper and deeper and deeper. And these ruts get established in your brain now because you've just kept focusing on what you're grumbling, complaining, and disputing about. But when you choose to actually put your words towards things that are joyful, glad, that you're rejoicing in. You begin to fill this ditch in, these ruts in. You begin to train yourself a whole new way to see life. This is the work of transformation. Like this is the essence of it, that you would become somebody that, that people actually experience in a different way. Like people like to be around you now. People enjoy coming over to your house. They enjoy the conversations with you because of the peace, because of the joy, because of the rejoicing, the gladness in your heart. There's like a magnetism, a light about you. This is what Paul says. You're in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation and now, now you're shining as light because you're not negative and hateful and disrespectful like everybody else. There's like a joy about you, a gladness about you, a hopefulness about you. And I just look at this as such an invitation, this whole passage to go, wow, working out our, our salvation with fear and trembling is such an amazing opportunity that we have to be more and more dependent on God, to be more and more dependent on his spirit inside of us, his power inside of us, to really pay attention to the words that are coming out of our mouth and the understanding around who he's asking us to be and to go, oh, man, that we get to be glad and rejoice. 
Like I come back to the, the authorship, you know, that Paul is writing from prison. I just go, ah, if there's anybody that should have been complaining, it's this guy. And yet he has chosen over and over again to say rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I want you to rejoice with me. I'm glad. Even if my life ends in this prison cell and, and, and I got to share the faith of Jesus Christ with you, I'm glad. And I'm rejoicing. You should rejoice with me too. Come on. Like the party's awesome. And, and the reason I, I share this whole passage with you, Relief, is because we are walking ourselves from a place of fragility, anxiety, worrisome, stressed out, overwhelmed. Even though hardship may not change and difficulty around us may not be totally just eradicated, we're walking towards centeredness, strength, peace, freedom, joy, gladness, rejoicing. Think of the kind of people that you want to be around. Right? It's these people over here. The people that have walked out of that brokenness into a, a place of strength and centeredness. This journey is long. It's lifelong. But this is what Paul is saying. Come on, come on, come on. I want you to work it out. I want you to work this out and become somebody who, who God made you to be. I want you to experience this gladness and this rejoicing in your heart in a way that is so powerful. I want you to experience Jesus in a way that you never have before. We have such an opportunity through this hardship to become who God made us to be. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste these opportunities that God has given us. Let's, let's walk towards strength. Let's walk towards centeredness together. I believe that God is going to meet you in that journey, that process of transformation. You know, with all my heart, this conversation for me is, is one that I... I wish I could manufacture or control or inspire you enough <laughs> to be transformed. But this whole conversation, this whole sermon today, these moments for me is just a massive exercise of dependence on God. God, this is your word. These are your people. This is your spirit in the room, speaking and leading and moving. And in my place, I, I wish I could make it all work and make it all happen for you, but ultimately it's going to come down to you making a decision before God today just to say, God, I, I want to want to be transformed. I want to want it. I don't really want it right now, but I, I, I'm asking you to help me want it. God, I've wanted it for a long time to be transformed, but, but I don't know how to get there from here. I don't have the power. I don't have the understanding, God. Would you, would you meet me in this place of dependence and desperation for you? For some of you, it's a decision to say, you know what? I have been self-reliant my entire time. In fact, Richie, I feel like I'm still locked in this prison cell. I am, I'm imprisoned to my selfish, sinful desires. I want to be free. That's the good news of Jesus Christ is that he came to set every captive free. When you turn to him wholeheartedly, when you turn to him in a place of repentance, God, I need a savior. Set me free. He meets you in that spot. That's why people get baptized around here. Is they're, they're putting their hand in the air saying, I need a savior. That's why we celebrate like crazy when they come up out of that water. I want to pray over you today. Would you stand to your feet with me today, real life?
Maybe just open your hands before the Lord today. Just receive his spirit. Receive his grace, his goodness. Maybe you just need to confess to him right now that you want to want transformation, but you don't want to. Just ask him for that. He's so good. He's so gracious. He meets you in that desire. Others of you, you just need to confess salvation. God, I need a I need to be set free from my sinful, selfish desires. I need to no longer be bound and a captive, God, to these fears and these anxieties. I need you, Jesus. I need a Savior. Rescue me. He loves to rescue. That's why he came. God, we stand before you just humbled today. We desire your presence. We desire your transformation. We desire your healing. We desire your hope, God. We desire to become who you made us to be, Lord. Every single one of us falls short of that transforming work, God. And so we just come again in desperation and dependence today. Holy Spirit, would you, would you meet us in this place today? God, I know that there's a lot of pain just represented in this room today, God. Hardship is, it's been hurting, God, so many of us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our comforter. You would be our peace. You would be our hope. You'd be our strength. We just confess today, God, that we need you. We need your spirit. We need your power. We just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your church. Thank you for these moments together, God.